Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the amazing opportunity and privilege that it is to gather in your name, to be a people who gather and worship you through the, through the redemption of your son, Jesus Christ, that through him we are able to have a relationship with you. We are so grateful for that. We ask that as we open your word today, that your spirit would guide us, that our hearts would be open, that we would be eager to learn. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, um, I, still, I still remember it to this day. I was a, I was a young chap, about uh, five years old, and my parents and I were shopping in a, in a really large store, and they had like these, you know, like, you seen like the circular uh, clothing racks that you can kind of hide in the middle. Um, well, my parents may have been shopping. I was only five, so I wasn't shopping. No, I was, uh, I was off trying to save the world. Uh, I was gone yet again on another adventure. It may have been a store to everyone else, but to me, it was a battleground. And my, my imagination was imagining, you know, ninjas and warriors everywhere, and I was juking people left and right as we were going down the the walkways, and I was hopping in those circular clothing racks, and it became, my, it, it became my command center, and I was, you know, dialing up attacks and all of that stuff, and then I'd come out of my command center and go get into the battle. My imagination was kind of wild as a kid, and um, some of you kind of know what I'm talking about in your own kids, or maybe you remember yourself a little bit, but, but I got caught up in the battle in my mind, and... Uh, I started drifting a little bit from my parents because they thought it was an excellent time to teach a lesson. And so uh, they would just let me kind of do my thing and they'd get a little bit further away. And I'd be in my head fighting bad guys and they would get a little bit further away and a little bit further away and a little bit further away. And all of a sudden it, it happened that I came out of my command post, you know, spreading the, the genes apart. And I'm looking around I don't see mommy and daddy anymore. Mommy? Daddy? And I was lost, and I became really scared because reality had set in. But then I rejoice when I see my mom and dad. I'm rejoicing through tears. They come and find me, and they teach me a lesson. You gotta stay with us. You can't get too distracted, right? Um, for those of you that know exactly uh, what this is like, you can kind of you understand, you get it. But, but all of us, even if you, you don't have a memory of that with your kids or whatever, you, you can kind of understand to a certain degree because adventure is really kind of in our core as human beings. It, it's a part of who we are. Um, the, the battle between good and evil, right and wrong, standing up for justice, saving those in need, and perhaps uh, even the desire to be saved. Adventure is at our core. Um, it's in our books, it's in our, in our media, uh, it's in our movies, which I guess is media, so that's redundant. Uh, but C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien, uh, you know, they use the world of fantasy, the world of adventure, um, to, to show a Christian worldview. It was how they interacted with people. Um, and, and so, I mean, it's there. It's, it's a part of who we are. Um, but as we grow up, we learn that, that this imaginary world um, we kind of need to, to move away from a little bit because we grow up and we learn that we have responsibility. 
It's a good thing, too, that we realize that, otherwise we'd all be, you know, fighting off fake ninjas and getting lost in department stores, you know? We wouldn't actually be doing anything with our lives, and, 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 and so, um, so it's a good thing that we do that. But there is an unfortunate side, too, and that's that one of the drawbacks is uh, we see, um, we kind of lose sight of the reality that is our Christian life and the, and the adventure that takes place. I mean, it's the greatest adventure ever. If you think about it, just, just think about it for a second. If you are here today and you call yourself a Christ follower, that means you believe in a material world and an immaterial world, one that you can see and one that you cannot see. That you believe that there is a battle between good and evil for the fate of the world. And we know that Christ is the victor, but he still calls us to join into that battle. And what an amazing adventure that is. Sometimes we forget that, and we need to be reminded of it. So that's what our text today kind of tells us. It reminds us of the great adventure that is walking with God and gives us uh, ways that we can engage with that adventure again. So our text today is Acts 8, 26 through 40 where we're reminded that walking with God is an adventure as we read about Philip. Acts 8, 26 through 40. We're continuing in Acts, uh, and it, as you recall, the context is that uh, the church is in its infancy, it, it, it's, it, it's growing like crazy, and it's growing amongst intense persecution. And Philip, just before this, was in Samaria, preaching to the masses. In fact, up until this point, all of the proclamations have been mass proclamations, Billy Graham-style proclamations, and then mass conversions. And, and then we take a little detour here. So that's the context for today. And when we look at the text in Acts 8, we'll see that adventure comes from following God's leading. Adventure comes from following God's leading. And we'll also see that adventure comes from joining in God's mission. Joining in God's mission. And we're going to talk about how we are living in a most adventurous time indeed. We really are. And then we'll have some things that we can do about it. So, um, I'm also going to include some principles kind of along the way to help guide us as we re-engage in our adventure of walking with God. So let's begin where we see adventure comes from following God's leading. Acts 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, talk about adventure. Talk about following God's leading. An angel speaks to Philip and says, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we know the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? His, his ways are higher than our own. We don't fully understand um, what happens with God. He is an infinite being. We are finite, right? But on face value, it doesn't make sense. Philip is 
is preaching to the masses and seeing mass conversions in Samaria, and then they're traveling back to Jerusalem, and God's like, cool, now I just want you to go to this road in the desert. Talk about an adventure. That's a mysterious thing indeed. But when we follow God's leading, um, we accept some risk. And there's certainly risk involved in, in, in Philip's uh, leaving to go to this road, right? He's going to be isolated. There might be not anybody there. Um, when you are being led by God to do something or go somewhere, there's going to be risk involved. Some of you, uh, when I said uh, that the angel said to get up and go south, and that this is a desert road are thinking, man, yeah, I'm in Del Rio, Texas. That's a desert town, you know? But you have to understand, like, God provides the path. He guides us. You, you're not here by accident. In fact, I would say it's likely that you have a mission here. You have a mission here. We all do. The first principle that I want to point out for engaging in adventure and following God's leading is sensitivity. Sensitivity. If we're going to follow God's leading, first we need to be sensitive to it. It is entirely possible, as we're told um, by Paul, that you can quench the Spirit. It is entirely possible to do that. If, if you are not in right relationship with Jesus, if you are living in sin, if you are more concerned with your own affairs than the affairs of God, it, you may not be sensitive to God's leading. So that's the first principle. We need to maintain our sensitivity to what God is asking of us. Second principle is willingness. Look at, look at what happens, verse 27. It just says, so he got up and went. No question. You know, Philip didn't do what I just did a second ago, like, really, God? Do you see what's happening with all these people here? You, are you sure? He got up and went. There is a willingness to follow God. So sensitivity and willingness. And when we have that, it helps us engage in the adventure that is walking with God. Amen? It's pretty simple. Let's continue, and we'll see that adventure comes from joining in God's mission also. Adventure comes from joining in God's mission. Verse 28, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? So adventure comes from joining God's mission. I might say it this way. Adventure comes from joining God's commission. Maybe the great commission. Hopefully you guys see what I'm doing there. A little bit of word fun. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
That's the great commission for all of us. All of us are supposed to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's not just Philip's job. That's not just Steve's job or Joe's job or my job or Scott's job. It's, it's all of our job. All of us have a responsibility to make disciples, baptizing them. And part of the disciple-making process is evangelism, is going where God leads you and telling people about Jesus. And we're going to see that in a second. So principle number three is understanding. Understanding. Philip goes up to the chariot as he's led to do. He hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip says, do you understand what you are reading? So we need to understand two things as a principle. To engage in this adventure, we need to understand first God's mission. And we just talked about that. We need to understand that it's all of our responsibility, that he has a mission to reach people, seek and save the lost, and he chooses to use us to do that. What an amazing opportunity for us. The other thing we need to understand is God's word. God's word. Look at verse 31. And he said, this is the Ethiopian eunuch speaking, well, how could I? How could I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? When we join in God's mission, we will be met with questions. And we need to understand his word to be able to answer those questions. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect in understanding God's word. This is the word of an infinite being. And we are finite creatures. There is no way that we can understand every single thing to a 100% perfect level. It, it's not possible. I checked with uh, Joe first service. Not even he understands the word 100%. I did check with him, though, because when I talk with him, it seems like he does. But the, the point is, is that you can't use this as an excuse to not engage with people. You can't say, well, I don't know enough, so I'm just going to stay quiet. I don't know enough, so I'm not going to run up to that chariot. I don't know enough, so I'm not going to share Jesus with people. It's not how it works. You do have to understand God's word. But the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of Philip and leads him lives inside you. It's the same Holy Spirit. The very power of God inside you, leading you, helping you, guiding you. That's pretty awesome. If you want to think about an adventure and fighting ninjas, how about storming the gates of hell with a squirt gun? Because you know Christ is the victor. 
and he has equipped you with everything that you need. Boy, that gets me fired up. I, that I was not intending that pun, but, but it worked. I get excited about that. It is an adventure to be able to do this. And sometimes you will need to be the guide when people ask you questions, and sometimes you will be the one that needs a guide because you don't understand. And that's what the community of faith is for, for us to be in fellowship with one another, to help guide one another, to help encourage one another toward prayer and the reading of Scripture so we understand what God is saying and what this means and what we are to do with it. Amen? Amen. So we need to have understanding in God's mission. We also need to have understanding in God's word if we are going to engage in the adventure that comes from joining his mission. And talk about uh, divine providence. Okay, uh, we know God directs our paths. We know that. We've read that. But come on, this is Philip who was in Samaria with masses of people, was told to go to a desert road, and there just happens to be a chariot going by with an Ethiopian eunuch inside, and he just happens to be reading from the prophet Isaiah. And for those of you that recognize, he's reading from Isaiah 53. He's reading from Isaiah 53. It wasn't Isaiah 53 back then. Back then it was just the scroll of Isaiah, but you know, since then we've come to under... We, we, We've numbered it, and it's Isaiah 53. And he probably could not be reading a better text in this moment for Philip to meet him and explain to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's remarkable. So um, Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant. And here's the interesting thing. This passage had a lot of confusion for Jews at the time. Rabbinic writing at the time says that who, they're trying to figure out who the suffering servant is. What is the prophet talking about? And, and they relate it. They say, some rabbinic writings say, okay, well, maybe it's the, the, the nation of Israel that will, that will suffer as the servant of God. Maybe other, other writings say, no, it's Gentile nations that will suffer. Um, and, and then uh, other literature even says that, well, maybe it's a prophet uh, later that we don't know about, like Elisha, something like that. Um, but Jesus himself spoke the words of Isaiah 53 and found fulfillment in Isaiah 53, in the suffering servant, in his passion narrative. It's in Luke 22, and he says that. So we know that this is a messianic passage now. And I bet you Philip knew it too. That he, that, that Jesus is the lamb that's led to slaughter. By his wounds we are healed. I bet, I bet Philip knew this. And it's really interesting. It's amazing, truthfully, that, that in God's plan, in God's direction, Philip would be at this exact spot and this man would be at this exact spot reading this exact text and just go to Philip and ask, can you explain this to me? It's remarkable. Um, I've, had, I've had the privilege uh, of learning from Chuck Swindoll. And for those of you that don't know, Chuck Swindoll is a, 
Uh, he's a preacher up in like Frisco, Texas, and he's been doing it for decades and decades, lots of books. Um, he, he knows the word, and, and, uh, and he's got a track record that, that proves it. Um, I think I would probably recommend just about any book by him. But uh, he tells this, <laughs> he told this story that uh, he was just sitting down, minding his own business, and a stranger comes up to him and says, uh, excuse me, sir, do you know, do you know about the Bible? And he's like, well, yeah, a little bit, you know? And, and the guy said, okay, I'm reading in John, and it says here about being born again. Can you explain that to me? I don't understand that. That's, that, that's basically like what this is. It's somebody going, here's the scripture. In other words, I'm giving you a free pass to communicate to me about the word of God, and I'm going to point to you a section that is, leads right to the gospel, and I would like you to tell me about it. What an amazing invitation. Now, that may happen to you. It may not happen to you. I don't know, but um, I pray that it does. That's exciting. That is an adventure. That is an opportunity to engage in the adventure of walking with God. There's a couple things about Isaiah 53 that I just want to point out real quick because um, when we come across really interesting things in the scripture, I think it's vital that we talk about it. It grows our knowledge of what's going on and, and uh, questions that might people have and we're, or questions that people might have. Um, so when we look at Isaiah 53 um, and, and we look at verse 33, okay, as referenced here, it says, uh, who will relate his generation, okay? So this is a translation from the Greek Septuagint, okay, which is uh, the Greek writing of, of the Old Testament. And, and the words there, who will relate his generation, some of you have better translations than that. I'm using, like the, I'm using the one that Steve likes, which Joe likes to point out as English, as no one has ever spoken it, but that's the version that I use. So uh, a better way to understand this is who can speak of his descendants or, or something along those lines. And, and the idea here that you get from the Greek Septuagint is that he's, he's being led to slaughter before he's able to have any descendants. So who will speak of his descendants? And that's, that's kind of the question being posed here to us. Who's going to speak for Jesus? Who is going to speak about his descendants, his church? Are you? Am I? Are we willing to speak about Jesus? It's an interesting question that's here from the Greek Septuagint translation. But this verse is Isaiah 53, 8 in the Old Testament. And when you look there, translated from the Masoretic text, it's like the Hebrew text, uh, of, the, of the Old Testament, it's actually a, a little different. And, and the translation would be something along the lines of, and as for his generation, who cared? Meaning, he's being led to slaughter, and as for the people that were his contemporary generation at the time that this is going to happen, who cares that he's going to be slaughtered? That's another question that we should think about. Because... Isaiah 53 is actually kind of a sad text. There's a lot of sorrow that's filled in there. And if we're going to be responsible people with the scriptures, we want to understand things in their context. 
and sometimes when we reference Isaiah 53 or we read this, we immediately begin to rejoice and think of the positive aspect that is uh, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And, and, and there should be a positive aspect. I'm not saying there isn't. But the actual text is quite sorrowful. It's sad. Servant has to suffer, led like sheep to be slaughtered, wounded on our behalf. What can happen if, if we read texts through the light of a context that isn't there? We, we can kind of skip over things like that because it's really, there's an irony there. There's, there's a juxtaposition that actually makes the rejoicing that we have that much greater. That out of this sorrowful engagement, we are healed. There is forgiveness of sin. Does that make sense? It brings this joy and this rejoicing, kind of takes it up a notch, turns it up to 11. It's awesome. Uh, the fourth principle that I want us to remember is that uh, we need to meet people where they are. We need to meet people where they are. Yes, physically, you need to meet them where they are. You need to run up to the chariot or whatever. But uh, I would say also spiritually. Look at verse 35. It says, uh, then Philip opened his mouth. And that's a common expression for like someone that's uh, imparting biblical truth or, 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 or biblical wisdom, sharing the gospel, things like that. Um, so then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So Philip met this man where he was and began telling him about Jesus Christ. It's, this is actually the same principle uh, that Paul uh, uses later throughout Acts. You see it throughout Acts. Paul uses different um, language when he's interacting with people and sharing the gospel based on where they are spiritually, based on what their understanding is already of God. It's why when we get to uh, later on in Acts when Paul is on Mars Hill and he's preaching to primarily a, a pagan society, he actually takes one of their... Um, one of their pagan beliefs, they have, they have, a, they have an idol to an, unknown, an unnamed God, an unknown God. And, and Paul says, there is an unknown God to you. And he starts there and begins sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Uh, it's, called, it's called contextualizing the gospel. It, you have to understand where people are and what they know and what they understand and what they believe. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm reading Isaiah 53. I don't understand it. Will you explain it to me? The, the next thing probably isn't, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It, that doesn't make sense. It's not logical, right? But also, uh, it gives you an opportunity to connect with that person and actually move them a little bit further along in their understanding of God. So that's, that's the principle there. You've got to meet people where they are. And you have to listen to them and understand a little bit about them. Some of the... Uh, cultural understanding of what's going on here with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. We're told that he's on his way back from Jerusalem, right? So he was, a, he was worshiping in Jerusalem, worshiping the God of Israel. That's interesting, especially if you understand some of the cultural context about eunuchs in that day and 
and temple worship and things like that. Um, there, there were sections of the temple and, and people were given access to God differently based on who they are and what their beliefs are and things like that. So, for example, a God-fearer, that's like a, a technical term that, that people would use, is someone that's like, I believe in Yahweh, but I'm maybe not going to follow the law, or I'm just going to add him to my pantheon of other gods that I also believe in, right? You would be called a God-fearer, and you were allowed a certain you know, bit of access to God, access to the temple. Uh, next one would be like a proselyte, right? That's someone that's not ethnically Jewish, but came to uh, believe in the God of Israel, converted to Judaism, right? And is observing the law and things like that, right? So they would be given a little bit more access, right? You kind of see how that works? Well, eunuchs, they were relegated to the outside. They weren't given as much access as other people. And we don't have Philip's actual words here, but I just wonder if he might have said, yeah, I'll tell you about Isaiah 53. That this man, Jesus Christ, he died on your behalf. And even though you were just in Jerusalem and people were saying that you could only have this much access to God, he was the very son of God that died, and when he died, the veil was torn in two. Then now all people who believe in Jesus Christ have full access to God. That would be a contextualized gospel message. And I'm really looking forward to, in eternity, asking Philip what he said. And talking with this Ethiopian man and saying, what's it like having this dude just run up to your chariot and be like, hey, do you understand? Contextualizing the gospel message is important. Um, story, uh, Years ago, I was on an airplane, and just, just to, to be clear, I am not someone that does this. I, I am the person that, uh, I don't like to talk to people on planes. I don't like to actually share the gospel. I, like, I struggle with risking that also. Um, I try to follow it. I try to grow in that, but I'm, I'm just being truthful. Like, it, it's not, it doesn't come easy to me, okay? I was on an airplane uh, years ago, heading up to Wisconsin. It's about a two-hour flight uh, for a funeral, and... Um, uh, a businessman came and sat down next to me. I was alone, and, and I, had already, I, I had already put my headphones on, right? The universal signal, I do not want to talk to you this flight. We all kind of do that, right? Well, I had done that, and, uh, and he did not have headphones on, and he was kind of reading and, and everything, and, and I didn't care. I was going to keep my headphones on and probably not talk to him. But um, my ears started bothering me because I was wearing earbuds and, you know, whatever, so I kind of took, took off my headphones and kind of doing this thing a little bit, and, and I notice he's got his headphones on, and he starts to, like, he's bebopping along. He's just, like, he's enjoying his music. You can tell he's listening to something, and he loves it, right? And then this is what happens. Uh, kind of under his breath, I hear him go, I can only imagine. And I was like, okay. I know that song. I know what that song's about. I know that's a Christian song. I know that they are singing about uh, seeing eternity. 
seeing things set right, what it's going to be like. Oh, I can only imagine how amazing that is, right? And, uh, and he sees that I don't have my headphones off, so he takes off his headphones, and he's like, oh, I just love this song. I just found this song. Uh, I, am, I am loving this song. Do you know this song? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he's, he goes, awesome. Do you know the group? Yeah, I do. In fact, they have a lot of songs that are really good. Really? Yeah, really. Let me show you. And I, and I show him, and I start sharing with him some of my favorite songs. And wouldn't you know it? Those songs talk about the gospel. This song is about this. This song is about this. This song is about this. I'd like to say that in that moment, he was like the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's like, Give me, give me some water. I need, I need to, you know, throw it on myself and be baptized, right? I mean, it wasn't amazing like that, but the opportunity to share the gospel with him is just amazing. And, I, and I'm saying this not to build myself up because I, I really don't do this often and I don't do it well. I'm saying it as an encouragement that if we are open to God's leading, he can share, us, he can share with us an adventure that is unlike any other. Literally, the battle for souls is something that we are called into. It's just amazing. It's amazing. And of course, uh, the Great Commission is that we um, go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them, right? Well, look what happens. Verse 36. And as they went along the road, there came... They came to some water. They just came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, or behold, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A couple of things here. What prevents me from being baptized? We don't, we don't have a response of the eunuch here. Um, we don't have what's wrestling within him. He may be saying, I'm ready right now. Is there anything preventing me? He may be considering that maybe he, he, he is prevented a little bit. Uh, it, it could also be a cultural thing because he was just withheld some access to the temple, right? Um, but I, I think if you are a, a believer here today and you haven't been baptized, I think it's important for you to ask that question of yourself. What is preventing you from being baptized? That's, that's something that we're called to do. That's the external signal of your inward faith. It's the wedding ring that shows that you are married to Christ. You are his bride. You belong to him. If I take my wedding ring off, I'm still married, right? This is just a symbol but we're commanded to do it. So if you haven't been baptized, ask yourself, what's preventing you? And we actually have a bap baptism service planned for the 15th of August. Um, what a great time to be baptized if you, if you haven't done, done so. Um, so. So that's one thing, all right? Second thing, verse 37. I want to talk about this a little bit. Oh, man, I'm um, I want to talk about this just briefly, okay? Um, 
Some of you have uh, parentheses around it. Uh, some of you have a little asterisk with a note. Some of your Bibles may omit it completely, okay? Um, I don't want us to come to a portion of our Bible because we need, to, we need to understand God's word. I don't want us to come to a portion and have somebody use an evangelistic technique that shakes our faith, okay? Um, the ESV that just came out recently omits that verse, right? And I even heard somebody say, like, oh, there's going to be hell to pay for people that mess with God's word, right? I mean, yes, that's true, but we understand what's happening here. So some manuscripts, we have Greek manuscript, manuscripts, right? Uh, some manuscripts have this verse included, some don't, okay? Basically, what's going on is the early manuscripts, meaning like we date them, so the ones that were written earlier don't have this verse. And the ones that are written later do have this verse. So there are people that, that try to figure out and try to get as close to the original text as possible, and they, they think about this, and there's, there's charts that they fill out and try to figure this out, okay? And basically they're saying, look, it was probably added later. It was probably added in later. A lot of scholars think that maybe this was like one of the first confessions, um, like, oh, hey, before you go get baptized, do you believe with all your heart? And if they answer, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, okay, cool, now we're going to get dumped. And, and we're good to go, right? Some people think that that's what's going on, and they kind of, it got written maybe in a margin or something like that, and then it got copied, and it got added to the text. Um, that is a very short answer about a very big process. So there's two things that I want you to know about this. One, you can have a very high level of confidence in your Bible. Don't be rocked if somebody comes to your door. Uh, this is a common evangelistic technique of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And they'll say, your Bible is flawed. We actually uh, work in the Greek. We know what's actually said. Your Bible doesn't say it right. I'm telling you, and Joe can tell you, there are responsible people that, that work hard at this, that love the Lord. Um, so, so that's one thing. You can have a high level of confidence in your Bible. Second thing, if you have questions about something like this, hey, I was reading, uh, or somebody had a question, uh, I noticed that this verse is not in this Bible, something like that, ask us. Come talk to us, right? Um, and, and if I get a ton of questions, I might just put a class together and we'll, and we'll offer it here about how, how we got to where we are with our current translation and the process by which uh, we determine what these words are, okay? Um, so just, just two things there, just a little side note. Okay, verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. It's the same word there, by the way, harpazo. Uh, it's the same word as used uh, in Thessalonians when talking about the rapture, snatched away. <clears throat> um, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Bam! Snatched away, Philip's on another adventure. Wow! And he just engages right away with that adventure and continues preaching the word. 
Now, I did hear a story one time. I don't know if this is true. Probably not. But I did hear a story that uh, there was a, a Sunday school teacher teaching a group of kids. And uh, he was teaching this passage. And he was wanting to be kind of smart. And so he asked the kids, now, why was the Ethiopian eunuch rejoicing? And one of the kids was like, because Philip stopped preaching. <clears throat> I realize I'm near the end of my time. Please don't start rejoicing yet. I am getting there. We are almost going to land the plane. Um, <laughs> So I don't think that that is <laughs> true, but it's kind of funny. So Philip was off on another adventure, uh, and, and we see that the Ethiopian responds to this new faith in baptism and has the joy of being saved in Christ. I, I pray that I would love it if we are a community of believers that shares the gospel with people with boldness the way Philip does and gets to baptize people. I would love it if, I would love it if Andrew shares the gospel with someone and they, they come to saving faith in Christ and they go, Andrew, will you baptize me? What an amazing opportunity to engage in. Um, our time is coming to a close here. But before it does, I, I want to reflect on the adventurous time that we currently live in. Um, we live in, in a time of already and not yet. And what I mean by that is we talked a few weeks ago about Stephen um, and, and that he was testifying to the Sanhedrin that, that things were changing, right? Temple worship was changing. And, and we, we referenced John 4 that... that uh, temple worship was going to change because what did Jesus tell uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? He said that a time is coming when you will not worship in the temple because God desires what? Those who worship in spirit and truth. Things are, things are changing. They're, this is an exciting time. Things are happening. And that's a little bit of what we're seeing here. Um... It's interesting, the, the Ethiopian, that, 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 that's, that that's mentioned, and it's, it, it's kind of important. Um, and you may, you may miss it, you may not, I don't know, but uh, Ethiopia in the, in the ancient world, uh, we have extra biblical literature that refers to Ethiopia, which is not Ethiopia today, by the way. It's, it's Ethiopia that's just south of Egypt, okay? It, it's a province that's just south of Egypt that's called Ethiopia. Uh, it's actually uh, Nubia, I guess. Uh, but um, we have extra biblical literature that, that references Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Oh. Let's go back for a second to Acts 1.8. And if you don't want to turn there, that's okay, because I'm just going to read it. But Acts 1.8, this is Jesus just before he ascends. He says, but you, talking to his disciples, but you will receive power when the, Holy Spirit has, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Philip was just in Samaria. Now he's getting to preach to an Ethiopian, which in that day was understood as the ends of the earth. We are seeing Acts 1.8 literally laid out for us in the scriptures. That's exciting. But additionally, 
when you look in the book of Zephaniah, and there are psalms about this too. Zephaniah is a, a, a prophetic book that talks about the second coming of the Messiah, when things will be set right and, and, uh, and Israel will be, will be, uh, will be defended. Um, Zephaniah uh, 3, verse 9 and 10 say this, For then I will give to the people's purified lips, that all of them may, ca may call on the name of the Lord, to serve him shoulder to shoulder from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. We're living in a time of already not yet in that Christ came and things began to change and things are going on, but we haven't fully realized what's going on. We haven't, we haven't fully met the end of that prophecy. He hasn't returned. So it's an interesting time indeed to be living. N.T. Wright uh, says it like, um, like if you were thinking of not Acts the book, but Acts of a play, he says uh, it's like we're living in the fifth act, with the first act being creation, the second act being fall, the third Israel, the fourth uh, Jesus, and the fifth act, uh, the New Testament writings give us kind of an insight of how the rest of the play is going to go and end. And one of my professors when I was in seminary picked up on this and said, well, hmm, kind of, but it's almost like we're living in the fifth act, but we actually have the sixth act recorded because we know it's going to happen. We know how the story ends. Now, how do we faithfully live today? Folks, this is an exciting time. It is a most adventurous time indeed. So what do we do with it for our last few minutes? Well, I want us to engage. I want us to engage in God's adventure. And when I say the word engage, I think about two things. Because my dad watched a lot of Star Trek when I was a kid, I think of Jean-Luc Picard going, engage. <laughs> Which I tried that first service, and it came out like more like Sean Connery than Jean-Luc Picard, and it did now too. But that's what I think about. I think of engage. And I think of them, they're off, warp speed, right? And they're off to the next adventure. They're whisked away. And they're being thrown right into the heat of the battle. So that's one thing that I think about. Engage in the adventure. Allow yourself to be led by God and be whisked away to whatever he has for you. The second thing that I think about, again, because I grew up with Top Gun now this time, um, I think of the end of the movie uh, when, when they're, you know, dogfighting and everything, and, and Maverick, uh, he's still a little scared because he lost his, lost his buddy Goose, and so, so, he, so he gets out of the battle and he's just kind of hanging out there, and oh man, Oh no, you know, his, his buddy Iceman's in trouble. But then, you know, he overcomes his fear and he engages in the battle. And I think of the, uh, the traffic controller during the movie and looking at his little scope and he goes, Maverick's re-engaging. And there's this excitement. That's what I think about when I think of the word engage. I want, to, I want us to engage. I want us to get into the fight. I, I, I want us to get into the battle. Amen? Yeah. Uh, walking with God is truly an adventure, and um, an adventure comes with following his leading and joining in his mission. And there's, there's four principles that help us with that, and that's being sensitive to his leading and being willing to go 
and understanding his mission and his word, and then meeting people where they are. If we do that, that will help us engage in the mission of God. That will help us remember this adventure. Um, uh, because, because he says it far better than I ever could, uh, I want to leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, uh, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. The adventure of walking with God is real. The battle is real. And what happens in this life has eternal consequences. You gotta get in the battle. You gotta engage. You gotta be led by God. You have to join in his mission. I hope we do that. Heavenly Father, um, God, when I reflect on this story of Philip, I think what an adventure he had. What an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with someone that had never heard it. I think about the opportunities that we have. That walking with you is such an adventure. And, and I pray that we would never lose sight of that. But that we would lean into it. And that we would desire to follow your leading more and more. That we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. That we would be willing to respond. That we would understand your mission and your word. So that when people ask us, we know what to say. I pray that you would help us meet people where they are so that they learn about your son, Jesus Christ, in a way that, that is relatable to them, that they, can, that they can grab hold of the good news of forgiveness and freedom in you. Oh God, will you help us engage? Will you help us engage in, in your mission, in your adventure? Will you help us do that today? In Jesus' name, amen.